Welcome to NTD News Today. Here are today's top stories. AI, more war, and major litigation. We take a look at some of the biggest stories of the past year with an investigative journalist. Two aircraft collide at a Tokyo airport, killing five. See dramatic moments of a passenger jet engulfed in flames after all the passengers were evacuated. The death toll continues to climb from Japan's powerful New Year's Day earthquake. See aerial footage of the extensive damage. New Jersey officials say GOP governors have found a loophole in New York City's migrant busing rules. As Texas starts flying hundreds north to Illinois on New Year's Day, more updates on the illegal immigration crisis. Political violence in South Korea, a knife attack against the opposition leader, caught live on camera. What we know about it so far. Which movies to watch in 2024? From much-anticipated sequels to animation feature films, we have a preview of upcoming releases. This is NTD News Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. Here are Stephania Cox and Chris Beers. We open with some breaking news from Japan. Another tragedy struck the nation following yesterday's string of earthquakes. Five are dead after a Japanese Coast Guard aircraft collided with a commercial passenger jet at Tokyo's Haneda Airport earlier today. Video footage shows the dramatic moment of the passenger jet catching on fire following the collision. The Coast Guard said its plane was headed to Japan's west coast to deliver aid following the powerful earthquake there. The Japanese airline's passenger jet had just landed at the airport before it struck the Coast Guard plane on the runway. Japan Airlines informed Japan's Civil Aviation Bureau that 379 people including 367 passengers and 12 crew members have been safely evacuated. Regarding the Coast Guard plane, one captain was evacuated, but five other crew members were confirmed dead. Fourteen of those on the passenger jet were injured, along with the captain of the Coast Guard aircraft. The collision took place around 6 p.m. local time. Later footage shows the passenger jet completely engulfed in flames and continuing to burn. Haneda Airport closed all runways following the incident. Authorities say they are working to make them ready for use as soon as possible. Haneda is one of the busiest airports in Japan and many people travel over the New Year's holiday. At least 55 people were killed and more are awaiting rescue in Japan following the powerful earthquakes that struck on New Year's Day. A 3,000 strong rescue crew is working at quake sites across the country. The Japanese government said there are 120 cases of people waiting to be rescued. Close to 1,000 evacuation centers are up and running. Over 57,000 people have evacuated. Prime Minister Fumio Kishida gave an update on the damage. As a result of the helicopter observation from the sky, it was reported that there is widespread damage, such as road cuts, landslides, fires, and so on. 
Kashida said, due to the roadblocks, it's extremely difficult to enter the hardest hit areas. There are also power outages, water outages, and communication disruptions in the region. Japanese weather authorities warn that local residents should stay alert for further tremors. They say there's a 10 to 20 percent chance of another similar-sized earthquake striking within the next week. The good news is that the immediate risk of tsunamis is over, and the country's nuclear plants didn't report any irregularities. And now service members are seeking accountability for vaccine mandates. Over 200 current and former military members have signed a pledge to hold those who implemented the COVID-19 vaccine mandate accountable. International military strategist and retired Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gobb is one of them. He joins us now. Colonel, tell us about this pledge. Hey, Chris, good morning and happy new year to you both. But uh, the, the pledge to me was pretty simple. Uh, accountability in our forces for what they've done to so many families, both their careers um, and their incomes and their futures, frankly, based on an experimental mRNA vaccine that had, should have never been forced upon the military population in general. And not only that, it's the simple fact that uh, there's a constitutional provision for freedom of religion and many people uh, were not afforded that right. They don't need to ask for religious accommodations. They just need to claim them. And that was ignored through this process and just summarily written off while those families and careers were destroyed. So it's time to hold those who took part in this accountable, regardless of their rank. And the only people that are going to do it are the veteran community themselves. And Colonel, what would that accountability actually look like? Well, you'll see at the end of the letter that we all signed that part of this are specific action steps that include running for office, becoming the officials that oversee the military in the first place. And, and that's part of fixing the system in general. But some of the accountability also includes the ability to bring them out of retirement and put them before courts martial because they're not immune from these kinds of things. They should, there should be no stone unturned in holding those people accountable who push this upon the people when it shouldn't have been in the first place. So that's just a couple of the examples. Uh, but there are many ways as we move forward that will involve more citizen engagement and petitions, and you'll see that in the future. Now, how do you respond to those leaders who claim the pandemic was an extraordinary scenario, uh, which therefore exonerates them from being held accountable? Well, one of the things in the military is I, I was just following orders is one of the worst things that you can ever say. And that's really what they're saying here is I was just following orders. No, that is not the case here. This, it's during a crisis when the Constitution needs to be most upheld and most magnified and put in the forefront. That way we do not trample those things that are in the Constitution under the guise of, a, of an emergency, which this was not. We all know this was not a real emergency. Uh, in fact, the real emergency came afterwards with the government response to this so-called pandemic. And, and what effect do you think this will have on military leaders who do have some legal protections uh, from being sued by service members? Well, they have a certain amount of legal protections from being sued by service members, but that's not, there is nothing that says that they are completely immune from any of this. They can be brought back out of retirement, they can be put before courts martial, and they can be held accountable regardless. So th if they think that they're going to walk out of this free and clear forever, then that's just not going to happen. We're going to do everything we can to make sure that we prevent that. And in the end, you know, those of us, of course, who come from a faith background say that they'll eventually 
be held accountable for their for their deeds regardless. Now, Colonel, former U.S. Army Colonel Bradley Miller said the signatories of this letter believed they're, quote, suffering a long train of abuses that has come to a head with the unlawful COVID-19 shot mandate. What's the long train of abuses that he's referring to here? Well, Brad and I have talked, and so I, I guess it's I can cheat a little bit because I know a little bit about what he's talking about. But uh, this is, the, first of all, not the first mandate like this that has gone into effect in the military where they really use the military members as experiments to test things for the greater public at times. And if you really want to go back to the accountability question, it's not just the COVID man, max, uh, vaccine mandate. There are, uh, there's post-Afghanistan in August 2021. There is you know, those things that are wrapped around Ukraine and Israel and many other, other conflicts and things around the world that show that uh, the senior members of the military in uniform are just politicians acting like politicians. And that's uh, where yeah. this accountability question comes into play. They're, they're not being held accountable for failures, and they should be. Colonel Darren Gobb, international military strategist, thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. Have a good day. Coming up, presidential candidates are spending big in Iowa with the caucuses just around the corner. Find out who's leading the pack in airwave dollars. And the driver of a fatal crash on New Year's Day near Rochester has died. The collision killed two and injured five. We have the latest from the authorities in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Next, an update on the border crisis. California is now the first state to offer all illegal immigrants universal health insurance. Over 700,000 people living in the state illegally gained access to free health care yesterday. That's under California's Medicaid program, Medi-Cal. State officials estimate it will eventually cost taxpayers over $3 billion a year. California Governor Gavin Newsom's office told ABC News that everyone deserves access to health care regardless of income or immigration status. And in Texas, Governor Greg Abbott seems to have found a workaround to new city ordinances that limit the busing of illegal immigrants. And TD's Jeremy Sandberg tells us more. Hundreds of illegal immigrants flown out from Texas landed in Rockford, Illinois, early New Year's Day, a continuation of a policy of sending migrants to Democratic-led cities. A Boeing 777 landed around 1 a.m. at Chicago Rockford International, carrying over 350 illegal immigrants. Local media says they were put on charter buses. Republican Governor Greg Abbott says his campaign to send thousands north to Democrat-controlled cities is being done to take the strain off border cities and to pressure Democrats. Texas says it's targeting Chicago, a so-called sanctuary city that limits cooperation with federal immigration enforcement. Monday's flight appears to be in response to a Chicago city ordinance that fines bus companies who drop migrants off without notice. In New Jersey, illegal immigrants headed for New York City are being dropped off by buses to use train stations instead. A spokesman for New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy says the state is now being used as a transit point for migrants. Secaucus Mayor Michael Ginelli called it a loophole to bypass New York City Mayor Eric Adams' new executive order limiting arrivals. Ginelli said four busloads arrived over the weekend and boarded trains to New York. Mayors of New York, Chicago and Denver are requiring bus operators to coordinate arrivals by threatening impounds, fines and even jail time. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. 
And the Iowa caucuses are less than two weeks away, and Republican candidates and other groups are flooding the state's airwaves with ads. That costs a lot of money, with over $100 million spent in 2023. At least another $7.5 million is expected to be spent before the caucuses on January 15th. The Super PAC supporting Nikki Haley is the top advertiser in Iowa, spending $25 million in 2023. Haley's campaign focuses on electability, launching ads, touting her potential to defeat President Biden. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's campaign, backed by an endorsement from Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, has spent over $2 million on Iowa ads, with additional spending planned. Other pro-DeSantis groups like Fight Right and Good Fight have each spent over a million on Iowa ads reserved for January. Americans are increasingly concerned about foreign policy, according to a new survey. Around 38% of respondents said it's in the top five issues the government should address. That's more than double last year's and 18% that felt that way. The data comes from a recent poll by the Associated Press and the NORC Center for Public Affairs Research. Immigration was also a key concern. The poll revealed that 35% of participants expressed concern about immigration and the border wall, up eight points from last year's poll. Inflation was also listed as a top priority for both Democrats and Republicans. 2023, it was the year of intense change for many, rife with life-altering events of personal, national, and global significance. Next, we'll review the year in conversation with investigative journalist Jeff Carlson, reflecting on what 2023 could reveal about how the coming months might unfold. Carlson also co-hosts Truth Over News on Epic TV. Jeff Carlson, great to have you on our show. To begin with, could you take us through the main events of 2023 in your eyes? Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the, you know, we've had a number of big stories. And the way I'm thinking about things right now is, is I have two buckets. There's kind of the big stories that began in 2023 and may get resolved into 2024. And when I say that, I'm talking about things like the Biden corruption, um, which was an evolving story, and we may move towards resolution in 2024. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about things like the January 6th narrative, which is finally showing signs of actually breaking. Um, and it would be great if we could get to the bottom of that story, because there is a very real story that lies there. Um, you know, we also have the ongoing wars, the war in Ukraine, the war in Israel. The war in Ukraine appears to be sort of winding down. Israel remains more of a question. Does that draw parties in? But then I also think about what are the overarching issues that we're going to be facing in 2024. And when I think about those, I'm thinking about the issue of unfettered immigration. I'm thinking about the issues of lawfare, where law has, law, the rule of law has been weaponized. Um, I think about the way that our federal institutions have been fundamentally altered and the way that we're now facing a two-tiered system of justice. Um, you know, I'm thinking about things like inaction by the GOP, the fact that right now it doesn't feel like we have any real representation in government, that we're just left to sort of founder on our own, um, that there's nobody really representing the people. And I also worry and think about the national debt. You know, it's something that I don't think it gets talked about enough, but our national debt is, is approaching $34 trillion, the kind of numbers that we can't even begin to wrap our minds around. And then lastly, I, I guess I just throw in there uh, as an overarching issue is the fact that I think the story behind AI, artificial intelligence, artificial generalized intelligence, that's going to come to the forefront probably sometime in 2024. 
and you know it's pod that could even subsume all the other stories so there's there's a lot to be looking at as we move into the new year absolutely now taken together or perhaps individually what kind of impact do you think all of these things issues and, and news events are having on the country and and perhaps on the world well, I, you know, to me, it feels as if we're approaching some sort of an inflection point, that there's some inflection point, some event, some culmination of events that's kind of out there lurking, waiting around the corner for us. And, you know, are we going to rise up to meet it? And I, I, I'm entering this year with both a mixture of trepidation and a mixture of hope. And that I think there's a chance for a lot of things to get turned around But, you know, as you can just tell from kind of the list of things that I'm thinking about, there's an awful lot to be done in front of us. And and that's one of the reasons why I listed inaction by the GOP as one of the top stories or things to think about is because we're not getting, you know, where's the help in in addressing these issues? How do you turn around a federal agency without having, you know, what I feel is representative Congress? So I'm not quite sure what the answers are to that yet. I'm hoping that they they may shape themselves. Yeah, and some of this... These things look like they might be, no, I'll have to start that again, but um, there are certain things that seem to be in the works. What kinds of developments uh, could you point to that we might expect in 2024? Well, you know, on the debt side of things, I simply have, I, I, that one bothers me a lot. I don't know how we address that issue. The same would go for the immigration issue because there's so, the numbers are so vast. How do you turn that back? How do you put us back at a, a differing point in time? I guess I'm not sure that you can, or certainly it's going to take years of work. Um, you know, on some of these other things, I feel like there's never been a greater realization by the people out there that they don't have representation in government. And that's something that can be addressed. And what comes with that is a curtailment of spending that touches on the debt issue. Um, you know, I think people are fully aware that the media is, is absolutely aligned against them, but there's a, there's an ever increasing level of exposure that's coming. So I think we're walking into 2024, maybe with folks having their eyes more wide open than they've ever had them in the past. All right, Jeff Carlson, thank you so much. That's all we have time for. The suspect in a fatal New Year's crash has died overnight. The incident occurred in Rochester, New York, early Monday morning. Police investigations so far have not uncovered any further evidence as to why he crashed, but he might be suffering from an undiagnosed mental illness. The crash happened outside the Kodak Center around 1 a.m., just as about 1,000 people were leaving a New Year's Eve concert. Investigators say a Ford Expedition struck a Mitsubishi Outlander that was pulling out of a parking lot. The crash was so violent, the vehicles struck a group of pedestrians and two other vehicles. Two passengers in the Mitsubishi were killed and five other people were hurt, including three pedestrians. One of the vehicles burst into flames. Authorities say officers found at least a dozen gas canisters in and around the Ford Expedition. The city's bomb squad and arson task force responded to the scene. A 17-year-old high school student in Utah is safe after a bizarre crime authorities call cyber kidnapping. Kai Zhuang is a foreign exchange student from China. His host high school reported him missing Thursday after his parents contacted the school because they received a ransom photo. Police found him Sunday in a makeshift campsite in the mountains near Brigham City. He was apparently told by the cyber kidnappers to isolate himself. ABC reports that victims comply with such demands out of fear their families will be harmed. 
According to the FBI, cyber kidnapping is a rising trend. Exchange students are usually the targets and ransom is demanded from their families. Zhuang's family transferred about $80,000 to bank accounts in China. Coming up, Hong Kong tycoon Jimmy Lai's landmark trial resumes. What are prosecutors saying and how he reacts? And China says it wants a Dutch company to continue exports to China. That's after the Dutch government imposed a partial ban. We'll have the details in the ongoing dispute when we return. South Korea's opposition leader Lee Jae-myung has been stabbed. Just a warning, some viewers may find the following content disturbing. Lee was stabbed in the neck during a visit to the southern city of Busan today. He's the leader of South Korea's Democratic Party and narrowly lost to Yoon Suk-yeol in the 2022 presidential election. Footage from a live stream showed Lee collapsing following the attack. His attacker was then subdued at the scene. Lee has received an emergency treatment at a hospital in Busan and transferred to a hospital in Seoul. Police identified a 67-year-old man as the suspect, but his motive is unknown. He used a 7-inch knife bought online. Authorities are investigating the attack. Local media reported the police will seek the charge of attempted murder against the assailant. Turning our attention now to Hong Kong. Pro-democracy activist and media tycoon Jimmy Lai is pleading not guilty. His landmark national security trial resumed today. Lai is accused of colluding with foreign forces and publishing seditious material. Prosecutors said that's in part because he called for sanctions against Hong Kong and Chinese officials. Prosecutors also said Lai's meeting with senior Trump administration officials is evidence that he colluded with foreign forces. Lai denied all charges. The charges come under the harsh national security law that the Chinese regime imposed on Hong Kong in 2020. The U.S. is watching this trial closely and called for Lai's immediate release. He faces a possible life sentence if convicted. Lai's family, fellow activists and foreign diplomats showed up to the trial. Turkish police have detained 33 people suspected of spying for Israel's Mossad intelligence service. They're also accused of targeting foreigners living in Turkey. Police raided almost 60 locations in eight provinces as part of the investigation. A counterterrorism bureau in Istanbul launched the operation. Turkey's interior minister says the suspect aimed to monitor, assault and kidnap foreign nationals living in Turkey. Turkish authorities are still seeking 13 others. This comes after Turkey's president last month said Israel can't hunt down Hamas terrorists in Turkey. Multiple Russian attacks hit Ukraine overnight. At least four civilians are reported dead and over 100 injured after Russian airstrikes hit major cities. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky today says Ukraine managed to shoot down most Russian missiles, but not all of them. They used almost 100 missiles of different kinds. At least 70 missiles were shot down, almost 60 of them in the Kyiv area. There also were brutal strikes on Kharkiv. Hypersonic missiles slammed into city blocks in Kyiv and Kharkiv this morning. These types of missiles can fly at 10 times the speed of sound. Ukraine's army chief said they managed to shoot down 10 of those, almost 60 cruise missiles and three caliber missiles. Zelensky pointed out that Western-supplied air defense systems saved hundreds of lives. Russia's defense ministry says it didn't target residential buildings, but military industrial facilities in and around Kyiv. 
Poland has activated its fighter jets. The action is to protect its airspace in response to Russia's increased missile attacks on Ukraine. Last week, a Russian missile briefly crossed, it, crossed into Polish territory. The Polish military detected heightened Russian aviation activity targeting Ukraine and deployed fighter jets stationed at two bases to ensure airspace safety. The Polish deputy foreign minister has requested explanations from Russia. Russia said it won't give an explanation until concrete evidence is presented. Kids on the Ukrainian front lines are longing to go back to school, but for many, the hope of returning remains a distant dream. Here's the story of one third grader. If anyone needs to go to the bomb shelter, go ahead. If someone has an air raid alert, leave the class and go to the shelter. If everything is fine, let's continue. Arina Gerasimova's schooling is punctuated with warnings like these, delivered by her teacher virtually. Fighting rages just 25 miles away from her home in Slovyansk, a city in the eastern Donetsk region which is under regular threat of Russian airstrikes. The eight-year-old's education was first forced online by the COVID-19 pandemic, then again by Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine almost two years ago. Her mother, Irina, says she hasn't attended school since the first grade. She used to take judo classes. She was an active child. Now I look at her and she has changed so much. She doesn't want to do anything. She doesn't have friends. Her spirits are low. She knows it's a long time before she can come back to school, to judo. She has changed. Mentally, it's hard for her. Now a third grader, Irina says she would like to make friends, see her teacher and play outside during recess. She never meets her classmates and knows them only from their thumbnail images online. But the hope of returning seems a distant dream. Local school director Anatoly Pogyarelov said classes in frontline areas like Slovyansk would remain remote unless better bomb shelters were built or until the war ended. Remote education is the only way for now. Maybe when Ukraine will win back most of all of its territory, we could consider mixed or offline studies. The possibility of studying where there is an equipped bomb shelter. Currently, we do not have this option. Alas. However, in the northeastern Kharkiv region, which borders Russia, officials have begun building heavily fortified underground schools to allow children to return safely to in-person studies. China says it wants the Netherlands to continue exporting chip-making equipment produced by ASML. This comes a day after the Dutch government revoked an export license on Monday, covering the shipment of some of the company's equipment to China. ASML on Monday said that the shipments affected included certain lithography systems. These are key components for producing chips. The Dutch company dominates the global market for such systems. Its customers in China include semiconductor manufacturers. In 2023, the U.S. also announced rules to restrict the export of a certain ASML machine if it contains any U.S. parts. This comes after ASML last year accused a Chinese employee of stealing data. In 2019, the company accused Chinese spies of stealing trade secrets in its U.S. unit. And people from Kosovo can now travel without a visa through Europe's Schengen area. The area consists of 27 countries, most of which are part of the European Union. 
In April last year, the EU gave the green light for citizens from Kosovo to travel without visas for up to 90 days in six months. New Year's Day marked the start of the new rule. Kosovo was the last country in Eastern Europe not to have such travel arrangements with the EU. More Kosovars are now expected to travel, with some possibly even looking for work opportunities in Western Europe. Coming up, dogs in Rome hit the city's dining scene. One diverse menu offers items for both owners and their pooches to enjoy. From blockbuster sequels to animation feature films, we have a list of the most anticipated movies of 2024. More shortly here on NTD News Today. early version of Mickey Mouse entered the public domain yesterday. The copyright expired, according to U.S. law, after 95 years. The iconic character started life as the star of Steamboat Willie. The short cartoon was released in 1928. Over the last 90 years, Mickey Mouse became world famous, appearing on clothing, housewares, and even food. The character has been in hundreds of movies, video games, and television shows, most notably Fantasia. Disney retains copyright over all later versions of the iconic mouse, though. Other notable works entering the public domain were Winnie the Pooh's character Tigger, the Peter Pan book, some of Cole Porter's music, and Charlie Chaplin's silent movie The Circus. A new restaurant for dogs has opened in Rome. Owners and their pooches can expect a diverse menu that they both can enjoy. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the city's culinary canine scene. This is Fiuta, or Sniff in Italian. Restaurant co-owner Marco Tirano says dog owners in Rome go to great lengths to satisfy their four-legged friends. Each table has a basket for dogs and a drinking bowl. Once the dog settles in, a waiter arrives and pours mineral water for their canine clients. These days, a dog is considered a family member and so is seen to be and is treated like a child in all ways. When someone goes out, the dog is taken along as well. Wherever they go, to the restaurant, to the seaside, to the high street for a walk, and wherever he goes, he will always take the dog. On the dog menu today, there's a choice of meat, fish, and vegetables. The poke-style bowls are priced according to the dog's weight. Chef Luca Grammatico offers an expansive menu. He says canine clients rarely send a meal back. As far as the kitchens are concerned, there are two completely separate kitchens inside my dog kitchen where I concentrate on creating dog dishes I prepare ground beef, pork, chicken, cod. And then there are the vegetables, carrots, zucchini, potatoes, and so on. Then they get mixed together to create the dish. Dog owner Teresa Ferris says she's delighted with the experience. I'd say that if I met Prince Charming, I would have a child. But in the meantime, I gave birth to her two and a half years ago. And so all my life, my love and my attention goes to her. So for the moment, all's well. Tables are separated by divisions, so the dogs can't see each other. But that didn't stop the romance between two pooches. There was an evening where two dogs fell in love. They were two Maltese dogs, a male and a female. The owners exchanged numbers because they realized the dogs got on so well. Small bowls at Fiuto cost $9. Extra large portions go for $22. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
As the new year begins, let's take a sneak peek at the movies coming out this year. From long-awaited sequels to originals, there's plenty to look forward to. Hold on. Director Matthew Vaughn's Argyle will hit the theaters on February 2nd. It's a spy comedy based on the novel by Ellie Conway. Argyle tells a story about a spy novelist being drawn into a real-life espionage plot. The cast includes Bryce Dallas Howard, Henry Cavill, Sam Rockwell, and Brian Cranston. Oh my God, you're Ellie freaking Conway. Author of Argyle series, Ellie Conway! I am such a fan. Oh yeah, what is it you do? Espionage. Would you sign my book? Here we go. I love this book. People. Real life spies. Why would they care about me? Because you're a goddamn fortune teller, Ellie. When you wrote your new book, actually happened, and you kicked a hornet's nest you didn't even know existed. I'm in some really big trouble, Mom. Oh, so now you're experimenting with drugs. A new animation movie from Illumination the studio that created the Minions, Migration tells the story of a family of ducks getting lost in New York City while they're on their way to Jamaica. They must be migrating. Migration? What a stupid idea. Okay, you're impossible. Because I found a safe place for us to live. I want us to get out and see the world. What sort of father would I be if I put my young fowl in harm's way for no reason except a chance at a Caribbean vacation? I don't want to miss out on life because you're afraid to leave this pond. Here we go. Tail for the torsion. Check. Wing deployment. Check. Let's fly. The sun shining through with just a cloud. birds heading this way what is this place <laughs> migration's voice cast will include aquafina elizabeth banks and danny devito what is that what's Rose? it's you with LaRange on top. I'm not gonna be the dragon warrior anymore. You will advance to spiritual leader of the Valley of Peace. Inner peace. Inner peace. Keep your surf off my turf! Dinner, please. Dinner with peas in a sesame soy glaze. This is not working at all. <sighs> Next, on March 8th, the Kung Fu Panda series will return with its latest movie. In this fourth installment, beloved giant panda Po will retire and become a spiritual leader, but he must train a fox to be his successor. Being the dragon warrior, it's who I am! Skip me! What do I know about being a spiritual leader? What is it you're holding? A cookie? You were chosen to become something more than you already are. 
On March 22nd, Lionsgate will release its adventure film Arthur the King. It's based on a true story in racer Michael Lindnord's memoir. In the book, the author recounted the story of an adventure race in 2014 and how a stray dog named Arthur traveled with him. Arthur the King. <laughs> How's he doing? He's been through so much. This dog needs a vet. I don't want you to hurt anymore. No. He's a fighter. Just like you. What is that? That's not Kong. Who could have done this? And then on April 12th comes Godzilla x Kong, the new empire. This time, the two monsters won't be fighting each other. Godzilla and King Kong instead team up to save the world from another apex predator. Kong can't stop this on his own. He won't be alone. Adopted John. Another animation feature film to expect in 2024 is the Garfield movie. Garfield goes on a wild outdoor adventure and has an unexpected reunion with his long lost father. Hey, Junior, this is Vic, my father. You ever jumped a train? I've never jumped. Here's that stop. Really? Where? You think he'd see that coming? Let's get it. I to be Someone will be kicking off the new year as a mega millionaire. Check your Powerball lottery ticket because a single ticket in Michigan matched all numbers for Monday night's drawing worth $842 million. It was bought at a store in Grand Blanc, a suburb of Flint, Michigan. This is the fifth largest Powerball jackpot and 10th largest U.S. lottery jackpot ever won. 
The cash value is an estimated $425 million. There were also six winning tickets that matched all five white balls. Those tickets were sold in California, Connecticut, Florida, Maryland, and Texas. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Welcome to NTD News Today. Here are today's top stories. Israel responds to accusations of genocide and outlines the next phase of the war. The IDF says it secured the residence of Hamas's Gaza Brigade commander. Two aircraft collide at a Tokyo airport, killing five. See the dramatic moment of a passenger jet engulfed in flames after all the passengers were evacuated. The death toll continues to climb from Japan's powerful New Year's Day earthquake. See aerial footage of the extensive damage. Harvard University President Claudine Gay facing new allegations. Find out what's causing controversy now in her old work. Political violence in South Korea. A knife attack against the opposition leader caught live on camera. What we know about it so far. Hong Kong tycoon Jimmy Lai's landmark trial resumes. What are prosecutors saying and how he reacts? This is NTD News Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. Here are Stephania Cox and Chris Beers. We open with some breaking news from Japan. Another tragedy struck the nation following yesterday's string of earthquakes. Five are dead after a Japanese Coast Guard aircraft collided with a commercial passenger jet at Tokyo's Haneda Airport earlier today. Video footage shows the dramatic moment of the passenger jet catching on fire following the collision. The Coast Guard said its plane was headed to Japan's west coast to deliver aid following the powerful earthquake. The Japan Airlines passenger jet had just landed at the airport before it struck the Coast Guard plane on the runway. Japan Airlines informed Japan's Civil Aviation Bureau that 379 people, including 367 passengers and 12 crew members, have been safely evacuated. Regarding the Coast Guard plane, one captain was evacuated, but five other crew members were confirmed dead. Fourteen of those on the passenger jet were injured, along with the captain of the Coast Guard aircraft. The collision took place around 6 p.m. local time. Later footage shows the passenger jet completely engulfed in flames and continuing to burn. Haneda Airport closed all runways following the incident. Authorities say they're working to make them ready for use as soon as possible. Haneda is one of the busiest airports in Japan, and many people travel over the New Year's holiday. At least 57 people were killed and more are awaiting rescue in Japan following the powerful earthquakes that struck on New Year's Day. A 3,000-strong rescue crew from across the country is working at quake sites. The Japanese government said there are 120 cases of people waiting to be rescued. Close to 1,000 evacuation centers are up and running, and over 50,000 people have been evacuated. Prime Minister Fumio Kishida gave an update on the damage. As a result of the helicopter observation from the sky, it was reported that there is widespread damage, such as road cuts, landslides, fires, and so on. 
Kushida said, due to the roadblocks, it's extremely difficult to enter the hardest hit areas. There are also power outages, water outages, and communication disruptions in the region. Japanese weather authorities warn that local residents should stay alert for further tremors. They say there's a 10 to 20 percent chance of another similar-sized earthquake striking within the next week. The good news is the immediate risk of tsunamis is over, and the country's nuclear plants didn't report any irregularities. Continuing with the earthquake, some residents in the area have taken shelter in an evacuation center, while others are already cleaning up. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on their stories. Mitsuru Kida is the operator of this community center, converted into an evacuation center. He said the people staying there have been unable to sleep. It's because people have trauma. Even if it shakes a little during aftershocks, they become very anxious. It was the same for me, and it was the same for everyone. This local resident said it's the first time people in the area have experienced such a powerful earthquake. Around here, we get level two or three earthquakes, or at the biggest, maybe a lower five, but not big ones like this. As some take refuge in shelters, others are already trying to pick up the pieces. Residents of a small town called Noto are cleaning up. Kazuyuki Iwaki was lucky to be at work when his home was hit by tsunami waves. It probably would have been dangerous because of the tsunami. Everywhere was the same with the earthquake and shaking, but the tsunami came inside. So if I was here, it would have been dangerous. Iwaki is a driver for a nursing home. He said he would probably stay with family nearby due to the damage to his house. Iwaki says he never thought such a tragedy would happen to him. This is not good, but I was thinking of it like it was someone else's problem, thinking there's no way a tsunami would arrive. I was thinking like that, so I'm really reflecting on this. Miki Kobayashi was with her husband in the living room when everything started shaking. Some of the walls in her house partially collapsed. Our house was like this after the last earthquake in 2007. We had only just rebuilt our house. I don't think we can rebuild it again. As some fell on hard times, others stepped in to lift them back up. Like this gas station in the town of Anomizu, which is giving out free gas. Some people are visiting families or going home, and it would be difficult for them if they can't refuel. So we're asking them to take the minimum amount they need. Japan is frequently hit by earthquakes because of its location along the Ring of Fire, an arc of volcanoes and fault lines in the Pacific Basin. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. It's 2024, which means senior citizens will now be seeing an increase to their Social Security benefits here in the U.S. The Social Security Administration announced earlier this fall that recipients will receive an annual cost of living adjustment of 3.2% beginning this month. That comes out to an average of more than $50 per month. This is the third year in a row for a bump in payments as a result of inflation. However, it is a much smaller increase compared to the past two years. Israel is set to appear before the International Court of Justice at The Hague over accusations of genocide. South Africa has accused the country of crimes against humanity in the war against Hamas in Gaza. Israel's foreign ministry said the accusations were baseless. Israel's war with Hamas is in response to the Hamas terror attacks on October 7th. 
And South Africa requested an urgent order from the court claiming that Israel violated its obligations under the 1948 Genocide Convention. Israel's government spokesperson referred to South Africa's accusation as an absurd blood libel and stated that history would judge South Africa's leaders without mercy. South Africa, which has long supported Palestinian statehood, sees parallels between the Palestinians' situation and apartheid-era South Africa. The International Court will hold a hearing on January 11th and 12th. The Israeli military released video on Tuesday showing soldiers operating in the Gaza Strip. The IDF said it secured the residence of Hamas's Gaza Brigade commander. Israel's army said several thousand troops would withdraw from Gaza in the coming weeks. Israeli leaders now have outlined a low-intensity campaign focusing on remaining Hamas strongholds. The country's defense minister said on Monday that some communities will be able to return home soon. And after months of extra duty at sea providing protection for Israel, the USS Gerald R. Ford Aircraft Carrier Strike Group is soon heading home. The Navy announced the move yesterday and said the Ford will set out in the coming days. The Ford Strike Group will be replaced by the amphibious assault ship the USS Bataan and its accompanying warships the USS Mesa Verde and the USS Carter Hall. The three vessels had been in the Red Sea and have been moving toward the eastern Mediterranean over the last few days. The Ford and the USS Eisenhower have been part of a two-carrier presence during the Israel-Hamas war set to deter any aggressors looking to join the conflict. Harvard University President Claudine Gay is in the hot seat again. She's facing six new accusations of plagiarism, bringing the total to nearly 50. This means that more than half her published works are now involved in the ongoing scandal. One of the new charges relates to a 2001 article where she allegedly copied almost half a page from another scholar, David Cannon, without giving proper credit, according to the Free Beacon. Despite the allegations, Cannon, the original author, claims he is not worried about it and doesn't see it as academic plagiarism. Harvard announced last week that Gay plans to submit corrections to her 1997 PhD dissertation to correct instances of what she calls inadequate citation. Delegates from Egypt reportedly visited Israel to discuss a ceasefire that happened last week, according to a report on Sunday. To discuss the latest on the potential ceasefire between Israel and Hamas, I spoke with Gerard Feliti, who's a senior counsel at the Lawfare Project. Gerard Feliti, thank you so much for joining us. What would the ceasefire deal Egypt is working towards entail here? What Egypt is proposing essentially is that Hamas give up power in Gaza and allow another Palestinian, the Palestinian Authority essentially, to come back in, a change of regime. The problem is that this does not meet Israel's condition. It still leaves Hamas more or less intact and capable of carrying on additional attacks. The issue is who controls Gaza, and under the Egyptian proposal, it would no longer be Hamas, but that may not be enough for Israel to, to enter a ceasefire. So Hamas would still be allowed to exist? Hamas would still be allowed to exist. They would just no longer be in control of the territory of Gaza. The, the proposal calls for a, sec, a, a government that's not made of Hamas. Essentially, it would bring back the Palestinian Authority, and it would enable elections to be held in Gaza. And what is Israel looking for in any potential ceasefire? Israel is looking for a few things. One is the return of the hostages. Uh, that, that's an unconditional ask on the part of Israel. The second is they've already declared that their end goal is the destruction of Hamas to make it 
to render it unable to continue fighting against Israel and to prevent future attacks on the scale that we saw on October 7th. So for Israel to see a ceasefire, it really needs to see Hamas discontinue its operations and some guarantee that it will no longer be a viable fighting force in Gaza or elsewhere. And I know there have been talks of what they've called deprogramming the uh, population of Gaza, which has been radicalized by Hamas, similar to what happened after World War II in Japan and Germany. What do you know about that? Well, what we know is that we, based on the experience that the world has had after World War II and America's experience, for that matter, in Iraq and Afghanistan, it's not enough for Israel to win militarily. It also needs to make plans for what peace would look like, for plans for what it would entail to have a civilian population that is no longer militarized. So that really entails how to, the, the question of how to do that. For Israel, that entails some sort of continued presence in Gaza or continued influence, especially in the public sector. For Gaza itself, that really is a question that's unknown because right now there's a lot to, of rebuilding to be done. And that depro sort of deprogramming would be part of any ceasefire? Is that what we're talking about? Deprogramming would not necessarily be part of a ceasefire. I think that what you need is a transition away from Hamas, and you need to have a long-term peace solution in order to deprogram people. A ceasefire essentially is a condition to stop the current fighting, which would mean a transfer of power and a discontinuation of Hamas's ability to function. Deprogramming requires a longer-term strategy, like the Marshall Plan after World War II, or, or America's involvement in Japan. It's a longer-term investment by Israel and by the rest of the world. And now switching gears a little bit, Israel's Supreme Court just struck down Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's um, judicial overhaul law. Uh, that law stirred a lot of controversy in Israel. Um, what effect could its return to the spotlight have on Netanyahu's yeah, leadership in this war currently? I think Netanyahu's leadership is is very much supported right now by the country in the uh, government that, that was really formed, there was a war cabinet essentially, to carry out the defense of Israel against the attacks of Hamas. I don't think that that's going to change. However, long term, it already questions, there are a lot of questions about Netanyahu's ability to maintain uh, his, his control of government after this war ends, based in part on the attacks themselves. This further puts pressure on him to step down when this war is over. And, you know, there, I believe there have been calls for him to resign. Um, what's his response to that? Well, there's a lot of dissatisfaction right now, starting with hostage families. Uh, to civilian population, to people who really think that the government missed the warning signs of this attack. The response for now is to continue the war, to show strength, to show stability. But I think that Netanyahu realizes that as soon as this war is done, his days in office are probably numbered. All right, Gerard Feliti, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Turkish police have detained 33 people suspected of spying for Israel's Mossad intelligence service. They're also accused of targeting foreigners living in Turkey. Police raided almost 60 locations in eight provinces as part of the investigation. A counterterrorism bureau in Istanbul launched the operation. Turkey's interior minister says the, suspected, the suspects aimed to monitor, assault and kidnap foreign nationals living in Turkey. Turkish authorities are still seeking 13 others. This comes after Turkey's president last month said Israel can't hunt down Hamas terrorists in Turkey. Coming up, presidential candidates are spending big in Iowa with the caucuses just around the corner. Find out who's leading the pack in airwave dollars.
And New Jersey officials say GOP governors have found a loophole in New York City's migrant busing rules as Texas starts flying hundreds north to Illinois on New Year's Day. More updates on the illegal immigrant crisis, more in just a moment here on NTD News Today. This year's Senate elections are set to be an intense battle over the balance of power in the upper chamber, impacting the legislation senators vote on and the nominations of judicial and executive positions. To speak with us about this, we have Bart Marcois, the president of Marcois Partners International Corporation and a former presidential campaign policy advisor. Bart, which of this year's Senate races do you think will be the most pivotal in determining the balance of power in the Senate? Good afternoon, Stephanie, and Happy New Year. I think the, um, the most, uh, the, 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 the Democrats are in a really bad way. They have a lot of incumbent senators up for re-election, and they have eight or nine of them in uh, states that are very uh, positive territory for, for uh, Republicans and especially for President Trump. They, the Republicans have very few up for re-election and they are almost all, they are all in fairly safe seats. So the focus is all on the, the incumbent Democrats. The most vulnerable is right. uh, West Virginia. Hmm. Um, it is uh, almost a sure thing that that's going to go to the Republican candidate. The uh, governor, Governor Justice, is uh, extremely popular, and he, it looks like uh, a, a slam dunk to win West Virginia. And are there, um, are there any... Mm. Are there any that you think might turn out unexpectedly? Oh, unexpectedly, Montana could go either way. John Tester is, uh, has cultivated carefully this image of being a good old boy rancher, and he still plays that role when he's home in Montana, but when he's in Washington, he votes with Chuck Schumer and all the big city leftists. And, uh, and I think that uh, the Republican candidates, it's either going to be Tim Sheehy or Matt Rosendale. It looks like it's going to be Sheehy that's going to be taking him on. Uh, former Navy SEAL, I think he's going to tear uh, Tester limb from limb, metaphorically speaking. Uh, Ohio, a lot of people are expecting Ohio to go Republican because the, the likely nominee there, Bernie Moreno, has been endorsed by J.D. Vance, by Mike Lee, by President Trump. Uh, he has support of solid support of the real activist wing of the party. Uh, mm. But Sherrod Brown, again, has cultivated an image of being a working class Democrat. And he has he is a wily survivor and a street fighter. So that one could turn out unexpectedly. Mm, OK, now, how do you think, um, you know, politics at the national level could potentially impact these Senate races? The, the national ticket will be a drag on either side of the, of the uh, uh, race unless the uh, Republican nominee is President Trump and unless his preferred candidate it becomes the nominee in each of these races. If it's a Trump-endorsed nominee on the Republican side and Trump and that nominee are campaigning hand-in-hand -hand and side-by-side, -side, then... I think that the national race will be a boost for the Republicans, but Joe Biden and the National Democrats are going to be a drag on any 
nominee, no matter how popular he or she is in their home state, nobody can defend in their home state, not the most leftist Democrat can defend in their home state what the Washington, D.C. Democrats are doing to the nation. So, Bart, looking from the other side, how might these Senate elections impact national policymaking and the national policy land uh, politics in the years to come? I think that they will be more decisive than anything you can imagine. If the Republicans can win the White House and the Senate, they will then definitely keep control of the House. And I think what you'll see is a reduction in the size of government. And that is the one master stroke that will solve most of our nation's problems right away. Uh, that and and unleashing, taking, relieving the, the nation of the regulatory burden, just as President Trump did in uh, 2017, he took the, uh, the, the heavy crushing weight of regulations off the backs of American uh, companies, workers, employees, citizens, voters, uh, taxpayers. But the best way to do that is to reduce the size of government. And, and if the uh, Democrats have control of the Senate by even one vote, they can, they can bring that to a halt. All but right. if we control all three, you know, both chambers and the, and the White House, we can reduce the size of government across the board reduce spending, reduce this crushing, crushing debt. Our national debt is 150% of our national income. That's unsustainable. We cannot keep go on like this. Bart Marcois, thank you so much and Happy New Year. The Iowa caucuses are less than two weeks away and Republican candidates and other groups are flooding the state's airwaves with ads. That costs a lot of money with over $100 million spent in 2023. At least another $7.5 million is expected to be spent before the caucuses on January 15th. The Super PAC supporting Nikki Haley is the top advertiser in Iowa, spending $25 million in 2023. Haley's campaign focuses on electability, launching ads touting her potential to defeat President Biden. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' campaign, backed by an endorsement from Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, has spent over $2 million on Iowa ads, with additional spending planned. Other pro-DeSantis groups like Fight Right and Good Fight have each spent over a million on Iowa ads reserved for January. Americans are increasingly concerned about foreign policy, according to a new survey. Around 38% of respondents said it's in the top five issues the government should address. That's more than double last year's 18% that felt that way. The data comes from a recent poll by the Associated Press and the NORC Center for Public Affairs Research. Immigration was also a key concern. The poll revealed that 35% of participants expressed concern about immigration and the border wall up eight points from last year's poll. Inflation was also listed as a top priority for both Democrats and Republicans. Next, an update on the border crisis. California is now the first state to offer all illegal immigrants universal health insurance. Over 700,000 people living in the state illegally gained access to free health care yesterday. That's under California's Medicaid program, Medi-Cal. State officials estimate it will eventually cost taxpayers over $3 billion a year. 
California Governor Gavin Newsom's office told ABC News that everyone deserves access to health care, quote, regardless of income or immigration status. And in Texas, Governor Greg Abbott seems to have found a workaround to new city ordinances that limit the busing of illegal immigrants. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg tells us more. Hundreds of illegal immigrants flown out from Texas landed in Rockford, Illinois, early New Year's Day, a continuation of a policy of sending migrants to Democratic-led cities. A Boeing 777 landed around 1 a.m. at Chicago Rockford International, carrying over 350 illegal immigrants. Local media says they were put on charter buses. Republican Governor Greg Abbott says his campaign to send thousands north to Democrat-controlled cities is being done to take the strain off border cities and to pressure Democrats. Texas says it's targeting Chicago, a so-called sanctuary city that limits cooperation with federal immigration enforcement. Monday's flight appears to be in response to a Chicago city ordinance that fines bus companies who drop migrants off without notice. In New Jersey, illegal immigrants headed for New York City are being dropped off by buses to use train stations instead. A spokesman for New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy says the state is now being used as a transit point for migrants. Secaucus Mayor Michael Ginelli called it a loophole to bypass New York City Mayor Eric Adams' new executive order limiting arrivals. Ginelli said four busloads arrived over the weekend and boarded trains to New York. Mayors of New York, Chicago and Denver are requiring bus operators to coordinate arrivals by threatening impounds, fines and even jail time. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Police have not covered any evidence of terrorism or political motives in the Rochester, New York crash early Monday morning. The fatal collision killed three people, including the suspect. Nine others were injured. Rochester Police Chief David Smith said the driver might have an undiagnosed mental illness. The crash happened outside the Kodak Center around 1 a.m., just as about 1,000 people were leaving a New Year's Eve concert. Police said the suspect traveled to the area, rented a vehicle, and purchased multiple containers of gasoline. The suspect appeared to intentionally drive into oncoming traffic, striking a rideshare vehicle and causing casualties. One of the cars burst into flames. The city's bomb squad and arson task force responded to the scene. The investigation into the incident and possible motives continues. A 17-year-old high school student in Utah is safe after bizarre crime authorities call cyber kidnapping. Kai Zhuang is a foreign exchange student from China. His host high school reported him missing Thursday after his parents contacted the school because they received a ransom photo. Police found him Sunday in a makeshift campsite in the mountains near Brigham City. He was apparently told by the cyber kidnappers to isolate himself. ABC reports that victims comply with such demands out of fear their families will be harmed. According to the FBI, cyber kidnapping is a rising trend. Exchange students are usually the targets and ransom is demanded from their families. Zhuang's family transferred about $80,000 to bank accounts in China. Coming up, will we witness a thaw in U.S.-China relations in 2024? From Taiwan to trade disputes, what issues mark potential fault lines? We take a deeper look. And China says it wants a Dutch company to continue exports to China. That's after the Dutch government imposed a partial ban. We'll have the details on the ongoing dispute when we return. Hamas has confirmed the death of the deputy head of its political bureau in a blast south of Lebanon. That's according to AFP and Reuters, based on information from security sources. The senior leader was heavily involved in both Hamas's political and military activities. He was considered one of the founding members of the group's military wing. South Korea's opposition leader, Jay Lee, Lee Jae-myung, has been stabbed. 
Just a warning, some viewers may find the following content disturbing. He was stabbed in the neck during a visit to the southern city of Busan today. He's the leader of South Korea's Democratic Party and narrowly lost to Yoon Suk-yeol in the 2022 presidential election. Footage from a live stream showed Lee collapsing following the attack. His attacker was then sub subdued at the scene. Lee has received an emergency treatment at a hospital in Busan and transferred to a hospital in Seoul. Police identified a 67-year-old man as the suspect, but his motive is unknown. He used a 7-inch knife bought online. Authorities are investigating the attack. Local media reported the police will seek the charge of attempted murder against the assailant. Turning our attention now to Hong Kong. Pro-democracy activist and media tycoon Jimmy Lai is pleading not guilty. His landmark national security trial resumed today. Lai is accused of colluding with foreign forces and publishing seditious material. Prosecutors said that's in part because he called for sanctions against Hong Kong and Chinese officials. Prosecutors also said Lai's meeting with senior Trump administration officials is evidence that he colluded with foreign forces. Lai denied all charges. The charges come under the harsh national security law that the Chinese regime imposed on Hong Kong in 2020. The U.S. is watching this trial closely and called for Lai's immediate release. He faces a possible life sentence if convicted. Lai's family, fellow activists and foreign diplomats showed up to the trial. We will witness a thaw, or will we, in U.S.-China relations in the coming year. From presidential elections in Taiwan and the U.S. to continued trade fights, the world's two largest economies appear to be treading on thin ice. Here's a wrap-up of the potential fault lines that lie ahead. After a year that brought panic over spy balloons, a fight over semiconductors, and an intensifying military rivalry. China and the United States are ending the year with an uneasy detente, with both Biden and China's communist leader Xi Jinping looking to stop a freefall in their country's relations. But 2024 could bring new turbulence. Here are three problems that could cause a stumble in U.S.-China ties. First, Taiwan. There, votes kick off in mid-January for the island's new president and legislature. The Chinese Communist regime claims Taiwan as its own territory despite never having ruled it. It has vowed to annex Taiwan by force if necessary. Taiwan officials say Beijing has been escalating military maneuvers near the island and pushing a prickly narrative, a choice between war or peace with China. The U.S. could be drawn in if military tensions escalate in the Taiwan Strait, and there's a precedent for that. In 1996, the U.S. sent an aircraft carrier group to the area in response to China's military exercises and missile tests ahead of voting. And I never thought the 2024 like U.S. presidential election could be even more consequential. Barring last-minute surprises, it will likely be a rematch between Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump. Analysts argue that the Chinese regime might prefer Biden for his perceived predictability and as a negotiating partner. And semiconductors are a key issue in the U.S.-China tech rivalry. The U.S. is expected to beef up export controls on high-end chips. Those rules are designed to prevent China's military from getting its hands on the most advanced semiconductors. The devices power AI and have other defense applications. China sees this as an effort targeted at its development, but struggles to push back since retaliating against U.S. businesses would only drive away the foreign capital Beijing needs as its economic growth slows. 
China says it wants the Netherlands to continue exporting chip-making equipment produced by ASML. The Dutch government revoked an export license on Monday, which blocks some of the company's equipment from going to China. ASML on Monday said that the products include certain lithography systems. These are key components for producing microchips. The Dutch company dominates the global market for such systems. Its customers in China include semiconductor manufacturers. In 2023, the U.S. also announced rules to restrict the export of certain ASML machine of a certain ASML machine if it contains any U.S. parts. This comes after ASML last year accused a Chinese employee of stealing data. In 2019, the company accused Chinese spies of stealing trade secrets in its U.S. unit. Coming up, from blockbuster sequels to animation feature films, we have a list of the most anticipated movies of 2024. We'll return with that and more after the break. World number one tennis player Novak Djokovic surprised fans at a news conference in Australia when asked to wish Chinese fans a happy new year. Instead of a simple greeting, Djokovic said something that had his fellow players bursting into surprised laughter. Take a look. Today you win China team. Maybe they will be a little bit upset. How about speaking Chinese to make them happy like Happy New Year? Someone will be kicking off the new year as a mega millionaire. Check your Powerball lottery ticket because a single ticket in Michigan matched all numbers for Monday night's drawing worth $842 million. It was bought at a store in Grand Blanc, a suburb of Flint, Michigan. This is the fifth largest Powerball jackpot and 10th largest U.S. lottery jackpot ever won. The cash value is an estimated $425 million. There were also six winning tickets that matched all five white balls. Those tickets were sold in California, Connecticut, Florida, Maryland, and Texas. Twins are usually born on the same day, but in New Jersey, a set of twins were just born on different days and even different years. One of the babies was born late at night on December 31st, while his younger brother arrived just minutes later on January 1st. Fox 29 Philadelphia reports that the slightly older brother is called Ezra and the New Year's baby, Ezekiel. And this isn't the only special birth in the family. The father was also born on New Year's Day, meaning he now shares a birthday with his youngest son. As the new year approaches, let's take a sneak peek of the movies coming out next year. From long-awaited sequels to originals, there's plenty to look forward to. Hold on. Director Matthew Vaughn's Argyle will hit the theaters on February 2nd. It's a spy comedy based on the novel by Ellie Conway. Argyle tells a story about a spy novelist being drawn into a real-life espionage plot. The cast includes Bryce Dallas Howard, Henry Cavill, Sam Rockwell, and Brian Cranston. Oh my God, you're Ellie freaking Conway. Author of Argyle series, Ellie Conway! I am such a fan. Oh yeah? What is it you do? Espionage. Would you sign my book? Here we go. I love this book. Come on. Who are these people?
people. Real life spies. Why would they care about me? Because you're a goddamn fortune teller, Ellie. When you wrote your new book, actually happened, and you kicked the hornet's nest you didn't even know existed. I'm in some really big trouble, Mom. Oh, so now you're experimenting with drugs. A new animation movie from Illumination, the studio that created the Minions, Migration tells the story of a family of ducks getting lost in New York City while they're on their way to Jamaica. They must be migrating. Migration? What a stupid idea. Okay, you're impossible. Because I found a safe place for us to live. I want us to get out and see the world. What sort of father would I be if I put my young fowl in harm's way for no reason except a chance at a Caribbean vacation? I don't want to miss out on life because you're afraid to leave this pond. Here we go. Tail for the torsion. Check. Wing deployment. Check. Let's fly. The sun shining through is just a cloud. birds heading this way what is this place <laughs> migration's voice cast will include aquafina elizabeth banks and danny devito what is that duck on a rose what's duck on a rose with LaRange on top. I'm not gonna be the dragon warrior anymore. You will advance to spiritual leader of the Valley of Peace. Inner peace. Inner peace. Keep your surf off my turf. Dinner, please. Dinner with peas in a sesame soy glaze. This is not working at all. <sighs> Next on March 8th, the Kung Fu Panda series will return with its latest movie. In this fourth installment, beloved giant panda Po will retire and become a spiritual leader, but he must train a fox to be his successor. Being the dragon warrior, it's who I am! What do I know about being a spiritual leader? What is it you're holding? A cookie? You were chosen to become something more than you already are. <sighs> Over the next 10 days, these athletes will cross 400 miles climbing, biking, and kayaking. Let's talk again to the meatballs. Three days, 200 miles ago. Leave the stupid dog and let's go. Come on. Move, dumb talk. What is it, boy? Oh. Oh, God. Can't believe I almost walked right off that cliff. Extra meatballs for you, my friend. On March 22nd, Lionsgate will release its adventure film, Arthur the King. It's based on a true story in racer Michael Lindnord's memoir. In the book, the author recounted the story of an adventure race in 2014, and how a stray dog named Arthur traveled with him. Arthur the King. How's he doing? She's been through so much. This dog needs a vet. I don't want you to hurt anymore. He's a fighter. Just like you. 
is that? That's not Kong. Who could have done this? And then on April 12th comes Godzilla x Kong, the new empire. This time, the two monsters won't be fighting each other. Godzilla and King Kong instead team up to save the world from another apex predator. Kong can't stop this on his own. He won't be alone. how I adopted John. Another animation feature film to expect in 2024 is the Garfield movie. Garfield goes on a wild outdoor adventure and has an unexpected reunion with his long lost father. Hey, Junior, this is Vic, my father. You ever jumped a train? I've never jumped. Here's that stop. Really? Where? You think he'd see that coming? Let's get it. I deserve to be Thank that's all for today's news. Thank you so much for tuning in. Feel free to reach out to us with new tips or feedback at news.today at ntd.com. And we'll be back with more stories tomorrow.